right, welcome in everyone. It's another edition of the Wobcast 2.0. I am your host, Mike Wobshaw. It's Wobby, joined by Giles and Chase. Per usual, we are here with you for the next half an hour or so to continue the conversation as the Vikings continue what is appearing to be a magical season in 2022. The Minnesota Vikings play on Thanksgiving night. For the first time, they host a game on Thanksgiving, and they do it right. They come out victors over the New England Patriots, 33 to 26. They move to nine and two, and they have exercised some demons. And that is the name of the game on episode 12 of the Wobcast 2.0. We're glad you're here, Chase and Giles. Glad you guys are here as well. How was Thanksgiving, and how was the Vikings versus the Patriots? Boy, oh boy, was that a game. I definitely love Thanksgiving for a lot of reasons. It's always a lot of food. Uh, yeah. At least in my household, we play a lot of games, which to draw a parallel to the Vikings game, uh, the best game of all chess. I was going into that game knowing it would be a master chess match. Yep. And boy, oh boy, was it. And uh, I'm uh, just ecstatic to see that Kevin O'Connell was able to leverage his time with uh, Belichick and and get a leg up on him. So it was awesome. Yeah, Chase. the... Uh... Thanksgiving was great, but victory, uh, victory Friday made it feel a lot better. So, yeah, <laughs> yes, it's, um, you know, it's tough to get a victory Friday, um, because that means you had a short week guys. It's tough to do that against Bill Belichick. And we've titled uh, episode 12 of the Wobcast 2.0 exercising demons for a number of reasons. Uh, one of that is the difficulty in winning on a short week in and of itself is only exacerbated when you play Bill Belichick. Historically, Bill Belichick, 13-1-1 against the spread on a short week. The Vikings not only won the game, but they covered the game. So the second team in 16 short weeks for Belichick to cover, the Minnesota Vikings do that. I think another another example of exercising the demons, guys, primetime Kirk Cousins, right? Don't we hear that a lot? You can't yeah. do it in prime time. He doesn't play as well. Well, how's, uh, what was it, 30 of 39, I believe it was, for 299? That right. Yep. Yeah, yeah uh, 299 yards and three touchdowns, only sacked one time. So exercising some demons from that standpoint as well. And you alluded to it, Giles, at the top, but Kevin O'Connell, uh, who at one time was a member of the New England Patriots as a player, matches wits not just maybe matches with wits but outwits bill belichick here in this game on a night when he didn't have a starting left tackle and we talked Mm -hmm. about this last week about the trouble that we foresaw coming while being you know you're left-handed with one hand tied behind your back playing bill belichick on a short week you already can't protect even with derisaw in the game and now you don't have Mm derisaw and um, the vikings found a way to scheme around that we're going to get into um, how they did that and some other key moments in the win over New England. We'll take a look around the NFC and we'll preview the Vikings and the Jets game today on the Wobcast 2.0. But um, we start things off by sort of um, celebrating this victory for the Vikings, which was a big one because the two teams that the Vikings should be paying a close attention to when they scoreboard watch also won this week, and that's the Eagles and the San Francisco 49ers. So uh, it was a big win for the Vikings. They got to relax over the weekend on Sunday and watch other teams play because they got that win on Thursday night. And it was a lot of fun to watch. Let's go over some of those key moments in the game, guys. I have a handful of them, but I want to sort of tee it up here to Giles to give us your thoughts initially on this game and a key moment or two that you thought unfolded on Thursday night. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, if we're going to call things from a high level, I'm definitely eating my words here this week. I went into that game thinking we we're going to lose. Um, after seeing the things that went wrong against the Cowboys, uh, although I'm a big fan of the Minnesota Vikings in general and KOC, uh, I didn't think we could overcome that with the Patriots being one of the best uh, pass rushing units in the NFL. I expected yeah. a repeat, not because our team is bad, but because we weren't built to beat a team like the Patriots. So with that being said, that makes me exuberantly happy that we were able to overcome those things because all emotion aside, uh, when you go line by line and position by position going against each other, we were mismatched going into that game with injuries, and we still found a way to overcome. And I think one of those big moments that you'll probably bring up, uh, Kane and Wangu, uh, just what a guy getting that yeah. uh, that punt return uh, that always puts you in a position to succeed. One because he put points on the go uh, on the board, uh, yeah. but additionally it gave your team both on offense and defense a lot of momentum with a game that is highly based on momentum, and that really put us into our yeah. strides to uh, to win the game at the end. I actually have that Giles. That's the number one key moment I had in the game. And yeah. I didn't spend a lot of time ranking them, but I tried to put them in, in a fairly significant order. And I was oscillating between the the first and second on my list. And I ended up putting that one on number one, 97 mm -hmm. yard kickoff return touchdown. And to me, it was not just the fact that it resulted in points and it takes pressure off the offense because you give them seven points that they didn't have to generate on their own, but it came right after a New England touchdown mm -hmm. um, that that gave New England the lead mm -hmm. um, as the third quarter began. And so I thought it was a way to break the mm -hmm. momentum that New England was generating. Yep. And, um, you know, we talk all the time about plays that could go either way and each team catches a break. And I think there was a fairly significant hold that was not called. Mm -hmm on that return but look um, the ref's gonna miss some calls every now and then and sometimes the ball bounces your way it did in that case for the vikings i thought that was a huge moment in the game and i thought special teams overall was key in this game and the patriots very stout very good on special teams historically mm -hmm. but there was another special team snafu by the patriots that's the number two play in this game you know where mm -hmm. i'm going with that one yeah, yep. running into the kicker. You run into the kicker. Yeah. What in the world? <laughs> Early fourth quarter, and you extend a drive for the Vikings that they end up driving down the field and they score the game winning touchdown. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because there there were no points scored after that. That was mm -hmm. Steelens' touchdown. No points scored after that. That ends up being the deciding play in the game. Essentially, mm -hmm. is a running into the kicker. And so I just I thought it was very interesting. The top two plays in this game. Uh, were special teams plays that went in favor of the Vikings. Very mm -hmm. interesting against the Patriots, a team that's very sound on special teams. Yeah, 100%. And I think you'll find a lot of people online calling the Vikings quote-unquote lucky. And uh, lucky may mean different things to different people. Uh, some people think like, oh, like 10 times out of 10, that's only going to happen once. And that's just a snafu that you can't count on week in and week out. You're not a Super Bowl winning team. Uh, but I look at luck as essentially preparation meeting opportunity. And I think opportunity will always uh, be brought forth in a game because it's not uh, just, a, oh, this clear uh, clear winning team over here and this is a clearly poor team over here. I think there is always going to be opportunity in a, in a, in a given game. And yeah. if you're lucky, <laughs> uh, there's uh, going to be a ton of opportunities throughout the game to take advantage of it. And I think we were the more prepared team going in, period. Yeah. And I give a lot of credit to KOC. Um, I think our team has been 
quite prepared in most of our games this year. Um, I think you could maybe chalk up the Cowboys uh, loss uh, primarily to lack of preparation. And I think lack of preparation sometimes gets perceived as laziness. Like, ah, you weren't prepared. Well, I view it in a different way where you prepare, prepared for the right things. And that's your game plan, the way you're preparing your, uh, your, your plays for, uh, for yeah. that. And I don't think we brought the right game plan to the Cowboys game. So we were simply not prepared for what they were going to throw at us. And it all fell apart today. Yeah. We were prepared for the right things. Yep. Yeah. I, I agree with that. And then, the other thing with the Cowboys game too that I'll I'll throw in a line of defense for the the preparation aspect is um is the left tackle going out in the middle of that game I I thought they they probably had a good plan with Darisaw in they did not adjust well when Darisaw left I mean they didn't they didn't make and and you know Kevin O'Connell has forgotten more about you know adjustments than I'll ever know <laughs> uh, so who am I to criticize him for that? But um, it's almost like they kept playing that game thinking Darisaw was still the left tackle, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, totally different story here um, against the Patriots. They had a plan for what to do. I mean, look, Matthew Judon, I don't, I was at the game. I'm guessing the TV crew didn't call his name more than a couple times. I think he only had one sack given up by Ed Ingram. So, or, I'm sorry, yeah. Blake Brandell. Sorry. My fault. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I thought, you know, they did a great job against Matthew Judon and a great uh, great job in general. Cousins was 30 of 37 for 299 and three touchdowns, only sacked one time. He was accurate. He spread the ball around, 11 targets for Jefferson, 10 for Thielen, got mm-hmm. Hawkinson involved. Um, and so th- that was one of my other notes from this game, and I also tweeted about it. Um, I think the Hawkinson trade continues to look better and better. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's not just because the numbers are huge and he's scoring a bunch of touchdowns cause he's not, I mm-hmm. believe that was his first touchdown as a Viking. Um, but he, he's, he's definitely a, a weapon. He's a, he's mm-hmm. a guy you, with whom you can be tactical. Mm-hmm. You know, Rudy had an impact that was significant for the Vikings for a lot of years, but mm-hmm. it was more blunt force. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, it wasn't like you didn't have to game plan it. You could just have him run normal routes, and he's bigger than all the safeties and faster than all the linebackers, and he just, you know, he'll just out-athlete you. Yep. Hawkinson is a route runner, and he's smooth, and he's deceptive, and he can run combo routes, and he's good against zone or man, and I just think mm-hmm. you can be tactical with him, and that's probably what the Vikings saw um, yep. when, when they wanted to upgrade at that position, and Irv Smith got hurt, and – um you probably have a little bit of that with Irv, but he's hurt all the time, you know? So, yeah. uh, so they got it now with Hawkinson and what they end yep. up doing with Irv is subject matter for another Wobcast 2.0 episode down the road. But for now they have Hawkinson and that trade continues to look better and better. Yeah. Um, and, and that was um, really the final point I was going to make on this game. You already hit KOC scheming. Well, I thought this was a shining example as he went against Belichick. Um, but we've touched on that point already. So um yeah. I thought um, really a momentous win for the Vikings. Um, I'm not going to say that you're reeling if you know that, that you're a reeling club, if you don't win that one, mm-hmm. um, but it would be two losses in a row. And then you'd have the jets coming in and um, you know, there'd be some doubters um, I, I think. And uh, so, so a really big win for the Vikings. I would be curious to know though, Giles, um, how we graded out in this game, particularly up front uh, with yep. pass protection and run blocking. I'm, I'm wondering if, we use the analogy of uh, for Kevin O'Connell, 
you know, using Dalvin Cook is like eating vegetables. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's good for you and you should do it, but you don't want to do it. You know, you want to eat everything else on your plate. And yep. we're not seeing great involvement by Dalvin Cook. Is that a factor of poor run blocking or not? And then how, yep. did, we, how did we grade out pass protection wise? Would be curious to know those numbers. I know you have them. Yeah, 100%. Before I get into the overall PFF grades on both offense and defense, I wanted to touch on the run game because I think, uh, uh, not to expose the PF grades, uh, PFF grades too much, uh, yeah. but we did far better in pass protection than we did in run blocking, uh, which is ironic for our team. Usually it's the other way around. Yeah. Um, although we've had a pretty good year, all in all, uh, run blocking has definitely been the, the superior element of the offensive line. And yeah. We still averaged, I believe, 4.4 yards per carry, which isn't like, whoa, we're we're stuffing it down your throat, but it's enough to be successful. And that's where I wanted to call this out as one of the low-key winners of this game, because people may not look at this game and say, oh, the run game is what won this game. But mm-hmm. I think it was part of it, because... Okay. The run game was allowed allowed us to get a lot more flexible uh, with our pass game, uh, where we could run play action more effectively. We had not the greatest sk- uh, screen game, but we did okay. Um, we just did a lot more things where we were a little bit more unpredictable. In my opinion, if you can't get that run game going, you become less predictable because our offensive line, uh, not to give too much away, they did not do well run blocking wise. Like I don't okay. believe anyone scored above a 60 on the offensive line, PFF grade, specifically for run blocking. Uh, don't let that uh, confuse for overall PFF grades. But yeah. for run yeah. specifically, the offensive line, none of them scored above a 60, uh, which is an issue. Um, and the fact that we were still able to achieve 4.4 yards per carry really shows, at least in my opinion, the the true resiliency of Alexander Madison and Dalvin Cook, where we could at least keep it competent, where it's not out of this game. It's still something where if you do run three times in a row at 4.4 yards per carry, you're still going to get a first down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a huge, uh, huge benefit for us. Um, but I'm just going to quick share something here. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, I think while you're pulling that up, Giles, and this is something that Chris Collinsworth talks a lot about, too, is the impact of the run game. Um, And I I bring him up because he's I I think he's got some sort of ownership stake in pro football focus. And Ah. you keep (laughs) referencing these PFF grades. And for those who aren't familiar, it's pro football focus. And what they do is they they watch every snap, every player of every game, and they they grade it out. And they they understand their limitations in doing so they don't know the play calls they don't know the ins and outs of every scheme but these are smart football men and women who are doing this and grading it and Mm -hmm. if nothing else it gives you a number it gives you a data point to talk about Mm -hmm. um and it's more than just i think i remember i saw this thing happen it's like no these guys are watching the film and they're marking everything down and so this is this is why we like to talk about them because it gives us a basis at least um, at which to speak about it. And Chris Collinsworth has an ownership stake in this in this outfit. And he talks a lot about everyone knows oh, if you if you run the ball, you can use play action. Well, it, it's not just it, it's the if you show the willingness to run the ball, play action will work. You don't have to be a great running team to have play action work. You have yep. to be willing to run it. And that's mm-hmm. why even if it's 2.2 yards a carry or whatever it was for the Vikings on Thursday night, if you still do it, if you still ring the bell a few times, they have to respect it when you show run action or play mm-hmm. action. So it yeah. is an important factor in the game. And um, and even though we're paying Dalvin a lot of money and he's not rushing for a lot of yards, he still has a place in this offense, a valuable place in the offense. So Yeah, could not agree more. 
Um, and that actually reflects directly into this next element here. So I did this breakdown here of the, uh, at least the starting uh, offense for the Vikings uh, mm -hmm. based on 11 personnel where you have three wide receivers, a tight end, and a running back. Um, although there were other players that contributed to our offensive success, this is kind of the starting unit. So before I get started, do you have any guesses on who is the highest PFF graded player uh, on Thursday? So this is offense only with well, 11 only personnel. Here. Yep. which is one running back and one tight end. That's that's the number system. It's how many backs, that's the first number. How many tight ends, that's the second. You know there's five eligible players, so five minus whatever that number is gives you how many wide receivers are on the field. So this is 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end. And you're doing overall offensive grade? Yes, yep. Hmm. I'm going to say three. I want to say Thielen. I know Jefferson would be – it might be Jefferson. His numbers were gaudier, but I was there, and I loved how Thielen played. So I'm going to say Thielen. Uh, Thielen is just outside of the top three at a 70.6 PFF grade. Before okay. I show them, I'll give you uh, two more shots. I mean, Jefferson? Uh, Jefferson is the number one overall graded yeah. player. Okay. He had an 86.1 PFF grade, which – uh, I mean, I know there's been a lot of comparisons made to uh, to Mr. Moss there on Thanksgiving, but he had yep. a great game. Like it was it was fantastic, and I think uh, one of the players that I think you could contribute to uh, Justin Jefferson's success outside of Kirk Cousins throwing the ball is T.J. Hawkinson because he was mm -hmm. enough of a threat where I believe. Uh, he was a, a decent sized distraction for Belichick to try to stop. And that opened up the world for Justin Jefferson. And he, he did great. He had an awesome game. Um, and uh, the, uh, the other top PFF graded player, uh, if you want to make any guesses, mm. is Cousins. Cousins, exactly. Yep. It was Kirk yep. Cousins. Uh, Kirk Cousins, he ended the day with a, a 70.8 PFF grade. Okay. Um, which, do you want me to have you guess the uh, the bottom ones, or do you just want me to show you the whole the whole, uh, the whole spectrum? No, here? I want to, uh, let's guess the bottom ones. Chase, uh, what do you think? A, a bottom end offensive grade for the Vikings, a night in which they scored 26 offensive points and allowed only one sack. So it's kind of, we're throwing, we're throwing darts in the dark here a little bit. Um, I'm I'm gonna go up front though and take a guess that it was the left guard uh, who didn't play great, Ezra Cleveland. Again, I'm kind of throwing a dart though. Yeah, no, that's a great uh, great uh, comment. Uh, he did much better than meets the eye. Um, it is not left guard Ezra Cleveland, okay. but Chase? you are close. Okay, Chase. <laughs> yeah, oh, I think I'm gonna stick with O line here just because I think our offensive playmakers did their job pretty well. Um, I'm gonna go Ed Ingram. Uh. Honestly, not Ed Ingram. Although he was nope. towards the bottom, uh, he is not the lowest graded player. Okay. Reveal it. Who is it? Uh, it is Dalvin Cook, unfortunately, what? which is ironic. What? Um, wow. So here's all the grades across the board. Now, I think it's important to remember that this is a mixture for both pass and run blocking sets. Uh -huh. um, we had some players that did phenomenal in pass blocking or in, in just the pass game in general, some in the run game. But there were some players that when they did one great in one, they did horrible in another. Dalvin Cook is one of those where he had a pretty good running game, uh -huh. uh, but he did horrible in pass protection. He, he got chipped. Uh, his chip blocks weren't necessarily where he wanted them to be um you know so that definitely had an impact 
Um, uh, but ultimately, Adam Thielen, uh, a great uh, PFF graded player. Um, Justin Jefferson, obviously great. When you're looking up front, um, Blake Brandell was the the second lowest graded player. Did great. Well, I shouldn't say great. He did okay in pass protection. Uh, he did a. Uh, let's see here. Actually, I apologize. He had a 49.1 PFF grade. Or I'm sorry, 62.9. I'm looking mm-hmm. at the right number. Um, so he did okay in pass protection, but uh, did not do well in run game. Uh, but ultimately, I think we had an okay day when it comes to the overall offensive line, uh, when it comes to a pass protection standpoint. You can make an argument that this was the number one game all year uh, for pass protection, and we didn't yeah. have Derisa. Um yeah. I believe everyone except for Blake Brandell had a, above a 70 PFF grade um, uh, in pass protection. So it did, did quite well. So I think we were... Not a train wreck up front. I think that's the the key point to take away here is, although we didn't do great in run game, we did great in pass protection, we weren't a train wreck. It's not like we did horribly in the run um, mm. where we were at least able to be competent and keep Kirk protected and keep the element of uh, surprise at play. Um, KJ did not necessarily have a great game at 59.9. Um, but all in all, all in all, I think we had a solid uh, mix of players that were able to situationally uh, move the ball down the field, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I think that's a good analysis of those numbers, Giles. You know, it looks like Hawkinson didn't have his best outing either, but I thought that he had moments where um, he, he made some pretty key plays. Yep. Um, he had a third. And the down. run game is definitely bringing him down. He had a 71 yeah. uh, PFF grade in the pass game. So Okay. Okay. So, you know, that, that context matters, you know, mm-hmm. because everyone's got to help in every way they can, but mm-hmm. – you're not looking for TJ Hawkinson to be a factor in the run game. I mean, he plays the position, so he's got to be a, and, and we struggled with this with Rudy early on in his career too. When he came mm-hmm. out of Notre Dame, the yep. guys, he's tough and he's willing, but he's just not great at, at, at blocking, you know, so yep. he had to get better at it and he did get better at it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so TJ Hawkinson might be the same way. I, I think TJ Hawkinson is tough and willing, but it's just not his thing. So yep. if, that 63.8 grade for Hawkinson is a reflection of that. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Where the Vikings will get in trouble is if he's got that grade as a pass catcher, then they'd be in, they'd be in trouble, right? So Correct. I don't think that's a big concerning number there. Um, you know, I think that those offensive, <coughs> excuse me, those offensive line grades are okay. Mm-hmm. I don't think you want, like you want that to get better here over the final, you know, the mm-hmm. last third of the season. Yep. I mean, we you got to make some progress there. Yep. You're going to run into a team that's humming defensively like San Francisco or something, and, you know, you're going to get – that's going to sting you. So yep. – um, It is one thing to call out. Um, Ed Ingram specifically got a 70 – let me look here – 72.8 PFF grade in pass protection, which is by far and away his best game as an entire NFL career. Like, he did phenomenal at – I mean, at least for Ed Ingram, phenomenal at pass protection. And I don't know if that was him finally clicking on like, oh, I figured it out, or if they went into this game with a game plan knowing, hey – we're willing to sacrifice a little bit of run blocking success if we can shore up our protection. And because we don't have Darisaw Island on the left side, we are going to prioritize the pass blocking game and and let Dalvin make up for the lack of production with uh, run blocking. So, I mean, they did not grade in the run block, which is bringing all these uh, down. If you, yeah. um, if you make this pass protection, all of these numbers are green and are 70 or above, except for Blake Brendel. So yep. The point is, if you bring back Derisaw, if he can play this next game or one of the next games, and you continue pri- 
prioritize this this way. They did phenomenal at pass blocking. It's just, I can't tell if they just had a bad day with run blocking or if they prioritized pass blocking so much that it hurt the run game. Got blocking. it. Yep. Does that make sense? Yep, it does make sense. Totally get that. And this is this is a game. Football is a game where you gotta. It's pretty rare where you're you know you're nine out of ten or ten out of ten and everything. I mean, you got to mm-hmm. give something yeah. somewhere to get something somewhere else. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I don't have any concern about Darrison not playing against the Jets. By the way, I think he's going to be back. I bet you mm-hmm. he would have said he could have played on Thursday night. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think he'll be back. Blake Brandell will. Um, we'll go back to his spot as a reserve, and I think the Vikings are going to improve uh, right there uh, just with mm-hmm. that, the reinsertion of Darisaw. So that's good news. Um, yeah. I look at these overall, and I look, I see Jefferson's grade there, and I'd love to see if we could do a, post-mo- a post-mortem with Belichick. I'd love to know what the plan was for Jefferson. Obviously, mm-hmm. it didn't work. Uh, there was clearly there was a plan for him that um, that Belichick had. Obviously, they worked on that all week, I'm sure, but it did not work. I'd love to know what it was, you know, mm-hmm. and does O'Connell have an idea of what that might be because he spent time in that building? I don't, I don't know. Uh, that's yeah. that's, uh, you know, I'm only speculating on that. I, I wouldn't think so because it was so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I, I'd love to know, you know, what that plan was for Jefferson because it didn't work very well. So, um how about defense? Do we have any grades defensively, or did you have more on offense you want oh, to go? Uh, no, that's perfect. We can move over on to defense. Right, uh, if you had to uh, to guess, what uh, what is our highest-graded PFF-graded player on defense? Well, I want to guess Peterson because the reason I don't want to guess him is I don't think he was targeted much and thrown at much, so he didn't have the chance to – fill up the box score and mm-hmm. to impress from a, a tape standpoint. But I think if you go back and look at it, I think he didn't get targeted much because he, he did a great job in coverage. That's yep. my guess there. Um, so while I don't think he'll be the highest graded, I won't be surprised if he's up there pretty high. If I had to guess who the highest rated one was, I'm going to go to either Hicks or Hunter and I'm going to guess it's Hicks. I feel like he's around the ball a lot. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's a leader and a rah-rah guy. And when I'm watching games, whether it's in person or it's on TV, I see him around a lot. Yep. So I'm going to guess Hicks and Peterson are in your top three. Uh, Peterson is number three with a uh, 77.1 PFF grade overall. Uh, He did pretty great across the board. He got a little dinged in the run game. I think otherwise his PFF grade would have been higher. Mm -hmm. Um, He did great in coverage, great in tackling. Um, It was just a a, a few plays on run defense that brought him down, but he's still a top three player. Um, Hicks and uh, Daniel Hunter are not inside the top three. Mm -hmm. Um, Daniel Hunter is uh, more middle of the pack, actually. Um, uh, So I'll give you another shot at the another the the top two and um makes these two I, players you would have not expected in my opinion I, having well, watched the game okay it makes well then that makes me want to go up front um to probably bullard i think and again like i don't remember seeing him do a bunch but again i also wasn't watching replays at home on tv i was there mm-hmm. watching it yep. so now i'm gonna go with bullet i gotta go somewhere up front because i didn't that's Steven neither said, of these two players are in the front three geez okay so I, we're way off on this chase <laughs> who do you have i was looking at peterson too just because i was thinking the patriots were just trying to pick apart duke shell the entire time so mm-hmm. patrick peterson never really got the ball thrown to his side of the field but um 
it's got to be one of your two safeties. Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to say Bonham because I think he's been playing so well. <laughs> That's a great. Weeks. Yeah, we're uh, we're 0 for 3. It is not one of our safeties. <laughs> Jeez. Don't even tell me Duke Shelley ha- is playing well. Oh, is no, no. Uh, okay, I, I will say. I'll refine it even more. It is within the overall linebacker group. Wow. EK 5-4, huh? Yeah. Uh, Mr. Eric nice. Hendricks graded out number one with an 81.8 PFF grade. He did great in the run, did great in coverage, and even better in tackling. He had a phenomenal game, which I think is a nice bounce back, you know, uh, exercising the demons, so to speak, because uh, he did not necessarily have a great game against the Cowboys. I believe he was the worst graded player. So I think mm-hmm. uh, they schemed away him uh, into him having a great game. So this... Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to say in the second uh, best overall graded player is Zedarius Smith. Um, he seemed relatively quiet, but I believe he ended the game with uh, five overall pressures, which isn't phenomenal, but it's more than I think people thought he had. Um, he did great in, uh, in uh, I should say he did okay in pass rush, did okay in coverage, but was really great in tackling and run defense that uh, was able to elevate him into a 79.7 PFF grade. Um, so we have Eric Kendricks, Zedaria Smith, and Patrick Peterson is our top three players on defense. So if you had to guess um, our bottom three PFF graded players, who do you got? Well, I'm, I'm all upside down and backwards on this because I would not have guessed it was a great game for someone in, in the second level of the Vikings defense, the linebackers, mm-hmm. because yep. Ramondre, Ramondre Stevenson had nine catches yep. in this game. Mm-hmm. And you pin a lot of that running back production in the passing game. You pin on backers mm-hmm. uh, traditionally, but yep. obviously not the case here. So it makes me wonder if, you know, Jordan Hicks didn't play well or if Duke Shelley was down there because a lot of that was on him. So yep. I guess I guess I would go with Duke Shelley because I'm going to die on the Jordan Hicks hill, uh, for, yep. at least for this episode. So I'll, I'll go with Duke Shelley. So Duke Shelley did – not the greatest of pretty much in every category except for tackling. He was phenomenal in tackling, which brought him up to more of a middle of the pack. Uh, He did end the day at uh, about a 56.9 PFF grade in coverage specifically. So not the greatest in coverage, but his tackling abilities really elevated him. Um, I will say the uh, bottom two are also in the linebacker room, which is ironic. Okay. The overall Um, linebacker room. Geez, so you're going to put Hunter down there, huh? Uh, it is not Daniel Hunter. He's in the, the the bottom five, but he's not in the bottom three. Okay. So now, well, then we're left with Hicks. You already uh, said oh, Smith. It, yeah, sorry. It's also in players that are outside of this graphic. So we have Patrick Jones the second uh, was Ooh. the worst graded player at a 41.9 PFF grade. And yeah. then DJ Wanham ended the day at a 47.9 PFF grade. Um, mm-hmm. So those two did not do great in the rotation. And then Cameron Bynum, uh, at least in the starting lineup, was the worst graded player at a 52.0. Uh, did great against the run, but horrible in tackling. He got a 24.2 PFF grade in tackling uh, and a 48 PFF grade in coverage. So Cameron Cam Bynum uh, did not do great. So this is kind of the spread across the starting uh, defense. Um, you know, Patrick Peterson obviously did great. Harrison Phillips also had a pretty good game um, uh, up front. I think he was able to, to help out the run game a little bit, uh, you know, across Bullard and Lynch. Uh, Eric Kendricks had a great game. Zedaria Smith. But, yeah, Jordan Hicks, Daniel Hunter did not necessarily do great. Um, Duke Shelley, I think, uh, I mean, he's still our fourth cornerback. I mean, I yeah. think he might have – uh, spots of brightness that we can uh, leverage in the future to make him better, but he's still a rookie. He was on the practice squad for another team not that long ago, so it's not necessarily super surprising. Right. Uh, and then yeah. our safety room, 
uh, really struggling the last couple weeks, honestly. We're, we're not getting the production out of them that I would have normally expected out of Harrison Smith and Cam Bynum. Uh, mm-hmm. But I can't tell if that is lack of execution uh, or if we're schematically uh, focusing on other areas where we know that they're not a train wreck. I mean, because although these are not great grades, it's not like they're in the 40s necessarily. So if they're willing to give up production in the safety room uh, to help out the linebackers or things mm-hmm. like that, you know what I mean? Yep. So a couple thoughts here, just overall, Giles, after after seeing these grades and listening to you talk about some of the data. Um, can you tell me what Chandon Sullivan, what, how he graded out? Chandon Sullivan actually uh, did pretty well. He uh, yeah. had a 74.3 PFF okay. grade. Uh, in tackling, he had an 81.2 PFF grade. So he did great. Even in coverage, he had a 74.1 PFF grade. So he did pretty well, yeah. um, all things considered. Not surprised to hear that. Um, I think he's a pretty solid, stout, uh, salty player. I like him yep. on this defense. Not surprised to hear what you're saying about the safeties. Uh, you know, um, Harrison Smith, to me, was used in a more tactical way by previous uh, regimes than he is right now. So I don't know if they're still trying to feel their way around with Harry or if Harry is just not someone that they want to do that with in this scheme. Yep. Not not really yep. sure there. Yep. Um, but my experience tells me that there will be a couple of Harrison Smith moments here down the stretch and in the playoffs where you're going to be glad that number 22 is on your defense. I think that's coming. Yeah, um, especially so. once Cam Dantzler comes back, because if you really follow the projection and the the evolution of our defense from week one till now, right after the bye, we actually started running a little bit more single high safety when Cam Dantzler was there, where we, we started adjusting our defense, where we trusted our cornerback room a little bit more, uh, where we could, not, we could stack the box a little bit more. We were elevating in a lot of categories across the entire defense, and then Cam Dantzler got hurt, and then yeah. we reverted back to running too high safety a lot more, um, which just makes you more one-dimensional i mean honestly um so i think once cam dantzler comes back i think you're going to see harrison smith pop off even more like you're mentioning there you go that makes a lot of sense and look you're getting by with duke shelley right now i mean (laughs) that's pretty good because you're not playing with evans you're not playing with booth uh dantzler take take it or leave it you know i think he's a little bit of a a lightning rod player for people dantzler is Uh, Mm -hmm. you know i think he's got um you know, some high risk, high reward to him. So, mm-hmm. but, but, but he's one of your better corners, no yep. matter how you, yep. how, how you slice it. So you don't have those three guys, Evans, uh, Dantzler and Booth, and you know, you're getting by with Duke Shelley. So, and, and you beat the Patriots and you're nine and two. So that's pretty dang good. Um, exactly. those numbers up front are not good enough either guys. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's not going to cut it when, yep. when we get into January and you're playing in playoffs, those, those yep. numbers up front have to be better. And, um, very clearly missing Dalvin Tomlinson. Because yep. in my opinion, he was performing like a top five, maybe top 10 defensive tackle before he got hurt. Um, so I'm really excited to get his presence back because yep. I think he's great in getting push up the the interior, but he's also great against the run game. So I'm very, very excited to get him back into the lineup. Yep, agreed. So uh, those, those are the numbers on defense for those who can see it. Uh, for those listening who can't, uh, really good games by Patrick Peterson, Zadarius Smith, and Eric Kendricks, uh, leaders and veterans on the defense, and they play well in a short week on a short week against a really good team. Uh, those are the guys you needed to step up, and they did. Exactly. All righty. So we take a peek around <clears throat> the NFC guys, and we mentioned it a little bit. Um, the Eagles win on Sunday night. They defeat the Packers in a game that had the Vikings uh, faithful doing mental gymnastics because you don't like either team. 
Uh, mm-hmm. You don't want either team to win, but you're kind of rooting for the Packers to win that game, and they didn't mm-hmm. because you're chasing the one seed, which the Eagles currently hold, and they beat you. So you can't just tie the Eagles. you got to be one game better than the Eagles to get the one mm-hmm. seed. <clears throat> but the Eagles hold serve at home. I believe that was their 10th win, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Eagles 10th win? Uh, um, I believe so, yes. Yeah, so um, so they're a game up on the Vikings and really two games up because they hold that tiebreaker. But um, mm-hmm. also the San Francisco 49ers won, guys, and the Niners um, are a team that I think is playing really well and not a team that you'd like to run into in the playoffs. Now, if the Vikings run into them, at least as it stands right now, they'd run into them at U.S. Bank Stadium, which is a substantially different game than if you had to go to San Francisco to play them. So that's good. Uh, but the Niners did win. And in fact, they shut out the New Orleans Saints, a team the Vikings almost lost to in London. Um, so uh, another reason why that win was big for the Vikings on Thursday is uh, they kept pace with the San Francisco 49ers and stayed ahead of them. Mm-hmm. As you look around the NFC, outside of the Eagles, Vikings, and Niners, what are you seeing in terms of teams who you think can win a playoff game or teams who will be a challenge when we get to January? Um, it may not necessarily be a challenge directly to the Vikings, but I think they're going to put up a stink uh, when it comes deep in the playoffs. And that's the Commanders. Mm-hmm. I think they're uh, starting to rally around Heineke. Um, yeah. I think they had a little bit of an identity crisis in the earlier part of the season with uh, Carson Wentz. Yep. I think... Uh, you can make an argument that a lot of the team wanted Heineke, but when they chose Carson Wentz as the starting uh, QB, that sent some negative ripple effects throughout the team. And they're a pretty good team. I think a lot of people wrote them off as like, ah, they're not great. But Ron Rivera, I think he's a great coach. Uh, I think Heineke is mobile. I don't think he is a top 10 quarterback necessarily, but I think he has a clutch gene. I think he's kind of a 2017 Case Keenum, so to speak, where he can go deep. I mean, if you put the right situation around him, they're not a bad team. They have a pretty decent offensive line. Um, Like, I don't know. I think uh, they're a team that has proven that they're going to try to stay in the dance as long as possible. Yep, and I think they're salty on defense, Giles. Chase Young Mm -hmm. is going to be back, and he's a big difference maker for them. Um, I think they have a little swagger, and uh, they do have some resiliency to them, and I think that comes from Ron Rivera, who you Mm -hmm. referenced as being a pretty good coach. I think he's... I think he is that. I think he's a good leader of men, and I think he's really good tactically on defense. And Heineke does have that sort of intangible quality to him where he's not Mm -hmm. filling up a box score and he's not straining you as a defense from a schematic or a strategic standpoint. He's just tough. Mm -hmm. You know, he's just tough and he hangs in there and you can't, you just can't get him to go away, you know? So, um, yeah, I think they're, and right now that's who the Vikings would play in the first round. Uh, Of course, you have the Dallas Cowboys as well, Um, Mm -hmm. a team who is, I think, is going to be in it to win it. Um, Mm -hmm. Chase, any teams that stand out to you? We haven't mentioned Tampa Bay. We have not mentioned the Giants. Uh, Any NFC foes that uh, we should keep an eye on here over the final six, seven weeks? Uh, Yeah, for sure. So I'm just looking at the playoff picture right now, and and there's a couple teams that I'm really, assuming that we stay at the two seed and we don't, and we miss that uh, first round bye. There's a couple teams that I would not mind playing, and I know guys, we just talked about this, but commanders not too scared of giants mm. not too scared of okay. buccaneers not too scared of because you gotta remember they're coming to us they gotta play mm-hmm. through us we're the two seed and i think with the confidence and the readiness that we've seen with kevin o'connell we're not going to drop stupid games like we used to um but the teams that i do not want to play obviously the eagles but um dallas do not want to get that draw just because mm-hmm. we saw how that ended um and then i would say uh what was the other one we were just talking about niners um, niners. niners yeah niners, i cannot 
yeah, they're just they got too many weapons. They got too many. They got a really good defense to rely on, and then their offense is they're a very complete team to me. Niners they don't really are nasty. Mm-hmm. Your 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 only draw or tie into the Niners where you can lean on something is O'Connell having experience going against them as a member of the Rams staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's really about it, though. Uh, that that's a nasty draw that you don't want. So, uh, but that that wouldn't come until after the first round of the playoffs. The Vikings will draw a team like Washington or Tampa Bay, most likely yep. in the first round, or the Giants, yep. perhaps. So. I also um, think it's important to note that the Eagles are going into their tough, uh, toughest stretch of games yet so far. I okay. believe they have the easiest schedule in, in the NFL, uh, like statistically. They today. have the easiest uh, today, yep. Yeah. And they're going into their toughest stretch of games. And uh, I don't want to say we're going into our easiest, but I think uh, I was suspecting the Bills, Cowboys, and Patriots to be the toughest games on our stretch um, thus far. Now, I don't think the Col- uh, Colts are going to lay over for us uh, or the, the Jets necessarily, but I think if we want to get the one seed, we have to win out, which is going to be relatively difficult. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But if you want the one seed, you have to win out and then hope that uh, Eagles drop two games. I think that's the only scenario in which we can uh, get that first round by. I think you're right. And um, I I don't hate the matchup the Vikings I know the Vikings got smoked by the Eagles in week two I mm-hmm. honestly don't hate the matchup I, I hate the matchup with Dallas more if I'm the Vikings mm-hmm. honestly I really do um and I've said what I've said about the Niners so yep. there's something about you know going back to Philly in the playoffs after what happened in 17 after what happened in week two this year where if you're the if you're the Eagles, you're kind of like, how many times do we have to beat these guys here? And you know, like, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I just remember a couple of times um, when I was with the with the Vikings where we swept the Packers in the regular season, mm-hmm. but we always were saying, "Hope to God we don't draw them in the first round of the playoffs." Because how awful is it to have those bragging rights where you beat them mm-hmm. twice in the regular season, but they get you in the playoffs? Yeah, and. Yeah. I'm not saying the Eagles are thinking that way about the Vikings or are scared about the Vikings. I'm just saying eventually at one of these times, the Vikings are going to win this game at Philadelphia and beat the Eagles. And if they get a swing at him in the playoffs, that'd be pretty good timing. Um, Up next though, for the Vikings was that cart before the horse segment brought to you by we're looking ahead too much. Uh, The Vikings (laughs) still have regular season games to play. Their next one is against the jets. Now, if you're an NFC snob or a Viking snob and you don't pay attention to what else is going on, you think this game is an easy one. And then you hear that you might be playing Mike white uh, at quarterback. And so you think the jets are going to lay down for you. The jets are seven and four and they have the number six total defense and the number four scoring defense in the NFL. They give up fewer than 200 passing yards per game. So this is a big boy game, uh, especially Mm -hmm. for the guys up front on offense. This is not um, one of those uh, that you look ahead to who you're playing next. You got to put your time and attention on the New York Jets. Other than that, Giles, Chase, any thoughts on this matchup here against the Jets? Do you fear a trap game as the Vikings perhaps look ahead to the next week? Um, What do you see happening here? I see a grinder. I see a physical game um, Mm -hmm. and one that the Vikings end up winning. And it's a win that will feel really good because they're all going to be beat up and tired after this one. 
I definitely think we took our medicine with the Cowboys, and I don't think we'll get caught with our pants down, so to speak, against the Jets. I think we understand that they are a great defense. I'm really excited to see the uh, matchup between Sauce and JJ, uh, because Sauce is performing like the best uh, cornerback in the league right now. He is shut down, and he's, he's still a rookie. Uh, his best games are still yet to come. So uh, they have a great defense, and I think that will be a really interesting matchup where if we can score points against the Jets, I will further believe that we are a true legitimate Super Bowl contender, not mm-hmm. someone that has just lucked into nine wins um, because it'll be hard to move the ball against them. Um, so I'm so. really excited to see what we can do. I'm really hoping we can get Christian Derrissaw back. I think they'll add another um, you know, notch to our belt to be able to actually succeed here. Um, but ultimately, that's the best matchup that I'm looking at is Sauce and JJ. How about you, Chase? Yeah, um, when I'm previewing games, the first word that comes to mind to me is, is the X factor. And, and it's a really nice X factor to have um, being the best receiver in the league. So yeah. I think that him and Sauce is going to be um, very, very interesting. But even if you know, the Eagles are, or, I'm sorry, the Jets are coming into this game trying, knowing that Justin Jefferson has been doing very, very well lately. So I think they're going to they're gonna be really trying to take him out of the game for us. So mm-hmm. I think we go as far as our passing game can take us this game because what's going to happen is if Jefferson can't get going, that means the Jets are clearly doing a lot to stop him, which means Thielen, Osborne, Hawkinson, they're going to be um, having pretty big days if Jefferson doesn't. So I think, I think this game, we go as far as our passing game is going to take us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the case for the Vikings as a team for the whole season is they're, they're kind of going to go as far as O'Connell and Cousins can scheme it and play it. Um, And you're right, Chase, I think that if teams are going to be heavy handed on Jefferson, it's going to open up opportunities for other uh, pass catchers. And I've actually been impressed with Thielen overall this season. Uh, he's clearly has some there's some gas left in the tank there and you could understand if there wasn't and if he was losing a step because he's been doing this for a long time and the Vikings have ridden him pretty hard you know (laughs) and but he's performing and he's gaining separation on routes and um, he's producing but um, the Jets do give up about 111 rushing yards per game and the Vikings are not a rush first team they're not a team that uh, majors in the run and I think this is an opportunity for them to get right in the running game. So I'm going to come at this a different way than you just did chase. And I I actually think this might be a a chance for cook and Madison to team up along with CJ ham and to sort of figure some things out in the run game and give the lions and the giants and the Colts who you play the next three weeks, something else to look at and to Mm -hmm. worry about. Um, And that's a, a revived Vikings running game. I think that's the, their best route against the jets because of the pass rush, because they're good in coverage, give them something else to worry about um, with with some creative running um, schematic things with Madison and Cook. I think that would behoove the Vikings in this matchup and take some pressure off the pass blockers up front. Uh, I do think Derisaw coming back is going to help, but it's also going to help them in the run game uh, because I, you know, he, he's a good – he can set the edge. Uh, he's a good run blocker. He's tough. And, uh, and so I'm anticipating a few more runs maybe than we've seen in the past in, in this matchup, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, could not agree more. I'm really excited about it. I think uh, if our team can still propel itself forward week over week, um, I'm of the opinion that Kevin O'Connell is maybe reserving some uh, plays and some schematics for deeper in the season. So he doesn't give away the whole kitchen table or the whole kitchen uh, uh 
uh, too early, so to speak. Yeah. So then we can pull it out when it's needed. So I'm really, really excited. I think this is when you're going to start to see more and more uh, wrinkles thrown in. Yep. Yep. Agreed with you. Um, and we'll have more and more wrinkles thrown into the Wobcast 2.0 and all of our programming and social media channels. So we hope you guys are all following us there. Uh, you can download the Wobcast 2.0 <clears throat> wherever you download all of your favorite podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, it's fun to banter back and forth, guys, with with our friends on Twitter. Uh, and I'm doing that at Wobby. So make sure you come and join us. Um, some people got mad at me because we were talking about the Hunter Henry takeaway touchdown and is it a catch or not a catch? Um, you know, I think um, those types of topics are fun uh, to to exchange ideas with people, um, to to choose hills to die on or not. Um, very rarely do people change their minds, <laughs> you know, on some topic you're debating with them. Uh, but it's fun to go back and forth. Um, so we've had a good time doing that. Uh, we released the PFF grades on our social media platforms as well. So we hope you guys are following us there. Uh, but that's going to do it for me for episode 12, fellas. Did we empty out your notebooks as well or anything else to get to? I actually do have one more thing that I just do want to touch on before we get into this yeah, week. Do uh, it. Just really quick, really quick. Um, the Vikings have had a couple weeks this year where we've been the only team in our division to win a game. Oh, um, yeah. Which means we have the largest lead out of any division. Mm-hmm. And this week, uh, week 13, with a Vikings win and a Lions loss, we will be the first team to clinch their division and a playoff spot. Jeez. So something to week keep your 13. eye on week 13. All right. So so I've been scoreboard watching the Packers or uh, the uh, the Eagles and the Niners. <clears throat> Chase is telling me to scoreboard watch the Lions. When's the last time anyone scoreboard watched the Lions? <laughs> if you would have told that to us Thank at the beginning of the season, saying, yeah. hey, week 13, watch this matchup, we would have thought we were crazy. <laughs> we, we need this Lions loss. The magic number, the Lions are involved in our magic number. Who would have thought that ever? <laughs> All right. That's a good note to end on. Appreciate that, Chase. Giles, thank you as well. And we thank all of you for listening to the Wobcast 2.0. Episode 12, Exercising Demons, is over. The Vikings prep for the New York Jets has begun. We hope you'll join us next week when we come back at you with another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. For now, though, for Giles and Chase, I'm Wobby signing off. Skull Vikings.